Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Now, trust in politicians east and west is at an all-time low. The coronavirus pandemic didn't begin this suspicion. Rather, it no more than unearthed a deep-rooted feeling that governments are hiding something from us and not telling us the entire truth. In this era of social mistrust, a vacuum has opened up and has been filled with so-called social media experts that use and abuse statistics and present alternative facts to the public. Of course, in general, everyone has a right to present expertise and knowledge, and this is a position confirmed by Islam and our history. However, what is pronounced today is the increase of non-experts that forward their views and gain an audience upon conspiracy theories and half-baked truths. Social media has allowed non-specialists to have a disproportionate voice forwarding conspiracy theories and unverified facts. Today, I explore the facts and fiction that pervades the knowledge space with Muslim experts that offer their knowledge and analysis on our current situation. I would suggest this suspicion of expertise and the irrational response to all information damages the mind of the Muslim community. It opens us up to be vulnerable to political actors like Russia and China, but also the United States, that wishes to sow confusion and disunity within our ranks. My first guest is Dr. Naveed Sayed, who is a senior public health specialist working for Public Health England. He has spent the past year seconded to Pakistan, helping to enhance the public health readiness for crisis, just like the one we are witnessing today. Naveed is speaking to us today in a personal capacity. Dr. Naveed, you've spent over 20 years in public health and um, you've also spent time in Pakistan looking at uh, the public health system there. So maybe you, you'll be the best person to answer this question. How did we get here? Coronavirus, um, as far as I understand it, came uh, from an in, from a interaction between human beings and bats in a market in Wuhan. But also there are a number of conspiracy theories that, uh, that suggest that the, um, uh, the, the disease came from a, a lab somewhere and the Chinese are blaming the American army. So can you shed some light on the origins of this virus? Okay. Uh, firstly, uh, the, the, we don't know for sure that it's from a bat in an animal market. Investigations are, uh, you know, have been conducted, uh, but there is no conclusive proof as to the exact origin of this particular uh, pandemic. It, uh, some early cases were linked to uh, a live market in uh, Wuhan, but there have there have been possibly other cases that predate that that aren't linked to the market. But, uh, you know, uh, in, in short, 
from early December, we know that there was potentially a, a case. Uh, I remember actually you know, seeing it on, on the, the sort of the, the public health radar at the end of, uh, I think it was just after Christmas, um, uh, could we get these sort of uh, global uh, alerts in the public health uh, community. But just sort of rewinding it a little bit, I just needed to clarify uh, that. And, and the, again, the other thing that you know, people are concerned about, and, and again, in, in the age of social media, uh, people talk about, well, is this something created from the lab? Is this biological warfare? Um, the, again, the evidence suggests that it, this, is, uh, this occurred naturally. You know, there's, there's no evidence because people have studied the, uh, uh, the DNA uh, of the uh, of, uh, COVID-19 uh, causing bug and and there's as I say there's no evidence that it's it's malicious in that sense. Can you tell me a bit more about the relationship between animals and the coronavirus? Now these coronaviruses they uh, tend to live in the uh, animal population uh, and they don't cause disease in the animal population um, and uh, and that's very normal. Sometimes when you have uh, interaction between the human population and the animal population, these viruses that don't cause illnesses in, in uh, the animal kingdom can jump over into the, the human population and start to cause uh, illnesses. And how does that process work, jumping between animals and human beings? So this bug, we think, lived in the animal population. Uh, and uh, managed to, you know, uh, through close interaction uh, with the human population, somehow transfer, and then uh, it may have mutated in, in the individual, which allowed it to then be passed on from person to person in, an, in, in quite a, a, an effective way, as, as, as we've seen. So much so that within a few weeks of that, um, the international community was able to WHO, uh, you know, uh, classify this as what we call a public health emergency of international concern, which is where we, we've got to now in terms of, of the pandemic. And you say it's somehow transferred. Is there some doubt about how the process of transfer happened? Yes, this coronavirus is known to be sort of in, in bats, but what we think has happened it's gone from a bat to another animal species changed a little bit and then got into the human population like that so that's the current theory and it may uh, it may change and we seem to be learning a lot about covid-19 i mean every day there seems to be additional news and information coming up, uh, out about the the virus uh, but can you tell me why is it so contagious i mean we we learn that uh, there is a, a phase in uh, someone uh, receiving the, the, uh, the virus where he or she can pass on uh, the, the transmit the virus without showing uh, explicit symptoms. Because partly because it's a new virus and, and that's um, one of its uh, earlier names. It was novel coronavirus. So it's a new virus. So it's, it's one that the human population hasn't been exposed to before. And if it's an, a new infection that you haven't been exposed to before, uh, you, you don't have what's called that natural immunity. Uh, to defend against that, nor is there what's called the community or herd immunity that, that can prevent its spread. So a, a brand new bug that's, that, that, that's come uh, that is able to cause illness and be transmitted easily can, can then you know, uh, spread quite uh, quickly uh, through the susceptible population. And I think what has caught a lot of us by surprise is just how uh, this disease can transmit when you're in an asymptomatic stage. Uh, I, I want to understand that further. How does that work? With many other viruses or, or other diseases, essentially, when you become ill with symptoms, uh, that's when you generally start to pass on the infection to other people. Um, so uh, uh, when you, as I say, become ill and tired and coughing and sweating or feverish, that's when you, you are known to be able to spread it to other people. But what that does, the, the, the body's mechanism there is, 
it makes you ill so you generally stay at home or you go see you know medical attention um, so it's easier to control that with this particular virus um, what's known is that people have been spreading it before they feel ill so it can be three or four days before you've got symptoms that you've actually been passing it on to other people. But I suppose an, another element to it which makes it a, a very problematic uh, virus is just how asymptomatic carriers who never show symptoms can transmit it to others. And I, I note that uh, that makes even congregational prayers and Salat al-Jummah extremely difficult because you may have it uh, but show no signs of having it. Uh, there are uh, there are certain populations who are able to trans who don't generally show symptoms and are able to uh, we believe are able to transmit it. Like like youngsters, you know they they're not showing the same symptoms that older people are showing, uh, and there is evidence that some of them are able to transmit it as well. So so that's why once it sort of gets into a community, it's much harder to control which is why it's really important at the early stages to have this really aggressive, really aggressive measures of, uh, you know, uh, detecting cases, treating them, contact tracing, case finding. So these are the really important um, uh, ways in which we can try and control coronavirus. But this particular bug is unusual compared to other bugs because it can transmit infection before you become ill. Now, Dr. Naveed, it seems to me that we live in an age where uh, we get information from uh, deeply untrustworthy sources, from social media pundits, and uh, experts like yourself are regarded as being uh, possibly untrustworthy. Um, any points on, on how we can remedy this? You know, I, I would always, you know, uh, get, you know, uh, any, anyone I'm talking to and, and people who may be listening to this, to, to, to go to trusted sources for information. So the, the World Health Organization has very good quality information about all of these things. So when, when there is so much that is unknown uh, and uh, social media uh, develops its own uh, sort of uh, life, uh, I think it's now more important than ever that people have good quality information from good quality sources so i would go to these trusted sources and 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 listen to the advice so when when the experts are saying what we need to do now is social distancing or physical distancing staying at home as much as you can and lots of people will, will have heard of the, the the term flattening the curve right uh, and and the implications for that is that we you know, uh, we slow the spread of disease so that healthcare systems are able to respond to those who are getting ill. Now, you're a Muslim doctor and uh, you can see the effect of uh, prolonged lockdowns can have on, on, uh, on our mind and our mental health. And um, uh, we know that uh, a vaccine may be some time away uh, it seems that it could even be as late as 18 months before a vaccine is found to the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And, and uh, even after that, uh, as uh, people like you would probably say, uh, there's no guarantee the virus would disappear from our lives. So how do we respond to this new reality we now live in? Yeah, so that's a really good uh, question. And, and thanks for asking that. I mean, what uh, I mean, I suppose the, the the place where I would start is that uh, what we see happening is obviously outside of our control. Um, that the disease it's it, it's spread uh, and, and how it's manifest. We would take that as being part of the qadr of Allah, uh, and so our interaction with that environment, we need to go back to, to understanding the areas of life that we control and the areas of life that are outside our control. Uh, and because this is the, the, the Qadr of we, we need to respond uh, effectively. We need to sort of reevaluate our relationship with ourself and relationship with other people and our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
because of the the, the change in, in in the environment and um, so all of these things we we need to look at the quran so now we need to speak to learned people to ask how best we can we can function it in the new reality because the new reality is the qadwalla um, and and you know um uh, going sort of back to uh, i mean there's the famous haditha safina the uh the, the uh, where the people on the boat you know the people on the lower deck of the boat and the upper deck of the boat and, and the relationship that they have is it is one that is really important in this situation is is if you know if a, a few people at the top of the boat don't realize that they have responsibility uh, 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 that is equal to the people at the bottom of the boat, you know, where the water is leaking in, then everyone suffers. So it's it's really encapsulating that sort of the, the 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 meaning of that. So that's a very positive way to look at our current predicament. I mean, how practically can we direct this positivity? Using what we have as an opportunity to reorientate, to recalibrate our relationships with ourselves, with each other, uh, and with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we are, we are put in this situation when we need to, you know, uh, be positive and make sort of the, 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 the most of that and develop a stronger relationship uh, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, be more careful about what, what we do, but also not to, uh, you know, abandon our social responsibility. Uh, we may not be able to, or we're not encouraged to go to the mosques in Jamaat because we can uh, spread that around. And there is precedence from Islam around how to function where, you know, where you've got diseases or plagues, what is the, the social responsibility. So it's being aware of those things and, and, and know that every action that we do, if we do it with the right reason and the right intention, could be an act of worship. And in fact, in certain situations, the scholars argue that you get more reward for not praying in Jaman, going to the mosque, than you know in this situation, than you would going to the mosque, um, you know, because you're putting other people at harm. So a Muslim needs to make the most out of this crisis. Allah's providing us an opportunity. Uh, he's he's uh, creating a, a different set of variables and circumstances and just seeing how we respond to those things we respond we, we we face all walks of challenges or manners of challenges i should say every day of our lives and different challenges that allah puts in our path that we can't predict um, and and we respond to those things differently based upon our our, our values so this is just a different set of uh, and, uh, challenges, a different environment that Allah is seeing how we respond to that and, and, and we need to take that opportunity positively uh, and, and work with it you know uh, and again so it's not you know and it, it's not sort of it, it's not seen as a, a, a negative thing it could be a, a very empowering thing where we are able to recalibrate we are able to you know reorientate our thinking our value system realizing things that are important if if there are individuals who are very secular in their outlet outlook or, or very um driven by material wealth or those that are driven by popularity fame uh you know uh, social interaction and they're being all of them are being forced in a different environment then it's it's how we respond to that challenge if in a year's time we're back to where we were as individuals then has anything really changed my next guest is dr imran wahid and uh, he is uh, one of many doctors in the uk that are currently dealing with the uh, crisis and uh, how it's unfolding so i i asked him about uh, these conspiracy theories and Facebook experts and how they're contributing to this pandemic crisis in a negative way. Now, Imran, one of the uh, conspiracy theories or one of the arguments used by some who uh, suggest that a lockdown was unnecessary here in the UK and across Europe and across the world is the herd immunity argument, the notion that the virus can spread within the population. And if uh, a, a great number of people uh, who are not going to be harmed by the virus if they 
are able to uh, naturally receive the virus and you shield the vulnerable people in the population, you're allowed to then continue economic life. And some have argued there must be an ulterior motive because this is the obvious way to deal with the virus. Uh, just allow it to spread uh, across healthy people like we allow the flu virus, and I'll talk about the flu in, a bit later on, uh, but like we allow other forms of viruses. Uh, and so you create this natural herd immunity. And, and I suppose naturally the virus will die away from the population uh, because too many people carry uh, the virus. I mean, how would you, how would you as a doctor tackle this, uh, this notion of herd immunity? You know, the, pro the problem is uh, natural herd immunity, which is achieved through infection kind of rather than vaccination, uh, that can be quite challenging because if you have an infection kind of just spreading through the population, I, I can't remember if that's the term Boris used, but you know, if you, if you let the infection just spread throughout the population, you can end up with a, a very high rate of serious illness and death. And then actually healthcare systems become overwhelmed well beyond their surge capacity, even in, you know, developed countries, which are, have high incomes, um, it's very unusual to pursue herd immunity other than through a vaccination program. Um, and even when you have vaccines available, you can't always achieve herd immunity because some viruses, for example, like the seasonal flu, uh, you know, they mutate quite frequently so they can evade uh, the body's immune response. So immunity doesn't always last forever. And that's why, you know, people end up having to have a flu jab, you know, every single year because uh, the, the particular strain of the virus, you know, changes. So why, Imran, do people believe in, um, in your view, in, in uh, these conspiracy theories? And why are people so gullible? And, and why do they accept uh, the various social media messages that does the rounds in, in uh, and have been doing rounds in recent days? I mean, let's take a, a common uh, stat that's sent around about flu and influenza and how uh, influenza kills more people than COVID-19 and we don't close down the economy and close down society and uh, have a, a pretty punitive lockdown as a result of, of, uh, of the flu pandemic. So some of them appeared to be of the view that actually this is, um, you know, very similar to any seasonal flu um, like influenza. Um, and I think that was, uh, you know, a view which even a lot of doctors held. So I don't, I don't think it's surprising that there are some who are of that view. Now, it doesn't seem to be borne out by, you know, what we've seen now, what we've seen in China, uh, what we've seen in other European countries now in Italy and Spain. You know, it's, it, it's significantly uh, more uh, contagious. The mortality seems significantly higher. You know, there's no vaccine. There's no treatments. Um, other than kind of supportive treatments like oxygen. So we are dealing with something different. Now, I think there's two kind of sets of reasons why people uh, talk about it in this way to basically say, well, actually, it's, you know, it's, let's put things in perspective. This is not really that much, you know. So, for example, I saw, you know, things going around about the number of, you know, deaths from car accidents or, you know, being struck by lightning and, you know, or the number of uh, terminations of pregnancy, abortions, and then, you know, and then, you know, the number of deaths from seasonal flu, and then the number of deaths from COVID-19. So there, there are some who are saying, well, look, actually, if you, you know, if you want to have a sense of perspective, this is not actually a great, you know, big deal. Lots of people die, people die all the time. Um, now, those who make that argument, I don't, I don't think the statistics back up that argument. I think, you know, I think the science uh, you know, suggests that actually um, most developed countries now have had to respond to that science and shut down their societies because this thing was spreading and killing a lot of people. Um, and, you know, health services, even in the most developed health services in the world, for example, in the north of Italy, um, these have been very, very quickly overwhelmed. Let me, let me tell you, so the flu has never overstretched uh, the health service, say, in Italy? Not, not that I'm aware of. Okay, look, people will talk about Spanish flu and, you know, Black Plague and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not 
an expert expert on the you know on the history of these outbreaks um but you know modern health systems in uh wealthy nations um yes there's an argument that you know they have taken the brunt of austerity and yes there's an argument that you know these healthcare systems um where they are publicly funded you know they don't they don't provide you know a uh, um you know an an a class service for example you know there is that criticism but generally they are not overwhelmed they they do have you know great amount of pressure at certain times of year so you know usually we have the the kind of flu season the winter that is uh you know and and that's a period of time when governments put in extra money so for example in the nhs in the uk you'll always hear talk of winter pressures money so money which is coming in to deal with the pressures of winter you know extra beds um you know trying to get people out quicker you know extra staff so people get seen quicker and you don't have long queues in a&e but i you know what we have seen actually though is having to build you know hospitals okay it's not a hosp- it's not a brand new hospital in terms of bricks and mortar but having to repurpose the excel center and turn it into a 4000 bed hospital and then do the same thing in many different cities in birmingham in belfast in in harrogate in manchester in bristol many many places in scotland that tells you that actually um this is on a different scale now there's the discussion for those my view those who say well actually you know so i was reading something i think in the spectator uh magazine um and then we've seen others people like lord sumption have written in the sunday times just this week i think um and their 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 motive really is to say well uh look this is going to kill people and you know lots of people die and lots of different things kill people and we need to be careful that the cure is not either lockdown is not worse than the disease um and their argument is that you're going to completely destroy the economy so this is a political argument and obviously any any state any society needs to get the expert advice from virologists from epidemiologists from their chief medical officers and then the politicians have to decide what can they take how many deaths can their society stomach um what level of adversity and on the other hand how long a lockdown can they tolerate how many businesses will go bust how many individuals will go bankrupt and then on top of that how many people will you know develop depression anxiety other physical health problems cardiovascular disease for example um so there is that wider equation so some people's motive for saying well actually we've got to have some perspective is kind of an ideological political economic motive if you see what i'm saying but they're trying to say well look yeah this is you know this is bad lots of people are going to die um but why ruin our economy because in the long run you know uh a lot of these people are going to so these guys will say a lot of these people are going to die anyway they're old or they're vulnerable but even then we see that this is actually affecting people who are healthy and well um and flu can in you know affect people who are healthy and well but for flu at least you know we have vaccines and treatments and a long history of dealing with it so that's one possibility uh for why people kind of latch onto that the other possibility of it is almost like the as you say the kind of conspiracy theory so i've seen you know i've seen people post a photo you know or, or video footage of hey look guys i'm i'm at this hospital in new york and they're saying that you know the hospitals are completely overrun with patients but look at this place it's got there's no one here look it's empty um so what's all this about that means there's something going on here um how why are we shutting down the economy there must be people who are benefiting from this um so yeah i mean based on it's not really based on evidence they're just saying well this is weird why would you know why would capitalist states completely shut down their economy in 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 such a in such a way i mean imran i sent out a message to my friends and family on whatsapp to 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 urge them to verify uh messages before they send it out on their whatsapp distribution list and uh, one brother responded by saying well you know uh that would mean that you're just uh, going to lap up you're going to accept uh the arguments of of a government and the government lied over wmd 
and uh, they are likely to lie here and here you go here's a here's a theory and that theory is x and and it seemed to me that the theory was was not founded on any credible foundation but this person felt it necessary to tell me about an idea that he had conjured up presumably on or through the ether the the point is conspiracies generally become you know a matter of faith rather than something that that can be you know proved or 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 disproved um so you end up getting this kind of if you, if you get into a discussion about these things the discussion tends to become very circular and a number of uh, facebook uh, posts have been going around uh, describing the um, death rates uh, this year in comparison to death rates in previous years and i suppose they're trying to imply through these comparative statistics uh, that uh, the number of people that are dying uh, 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 is not abnormal at this time of year. People die and, and people die every year. And so governments must be uh, trying to exaggerate the claims of, uh, of COVID-19 uh, for an ulterior motive. What we know is that for COVID-19, the number of uh, severe and critical infections uh, so severe infections are those that kind of require oxygen and you know hospitalization critical are those that require ventilation so the 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 number of uh severe and critical infections for covid-19 is significantly higher than what is observed for flu um the other um issues are that mortality for covid-19 appears higher than for influenza especially seasonal influenza so I mean, the, the, the mortality of COVID-19 is still going to probably take some time to fully understand. Um, but what the World Health Organization have said is that the crude mortality ratio is between 3 to 4%. So that is the number of reported deaths divided by the reported cases. Um, so, and for seasonal influenza, the mortality is usually well below 0.1%. So significant difference. And and also, you know, the figures we've seen come out of Italy already. Uh, they show significant excess mortality. So if you compare March 2020 um, with, um, with March of previous years, so for example, 2015 to, to 2019, um, you'll see a significant difference. Um, you will see that uh, you have uh, much higher mortality, it appears. So there is because the the issue really is is there excess mortality? There are more people dying than would usually die in March, and the answer to that is you know resoundingly yes. So you know if you look in the the, the Bergamo province of Italy, um, the average deaths in March uh, in the last few years, so 2015 to 2019, um, is, is is probably about the 1,000 mark. Um, but the overall deaths in March 2020 was, you know, somewhere above 5,000. Uh, that's that's overall deaths, yeah. So that doesn't, so that's that's not looking at that's not looking at cause, yeah. But okay, have there been like an earthquake or a volcano, or did lots of people have road traffic accidents, or you know, was there an outbreak of food poisoning? What has killed an extra 4,000 people in March 2020? Um, the confirmed cases in that province are probably just over 2,000. So they don't, they don't account for the discrepancy between the average deaths and what we've seen this March. Um, so probably there are excess deaths, which are due to coronavirus, uh, where, you know, especially where you have community deaths, which where you haven't got testing. Well, in the UK, the ONS release uh, to the week uh, ending 3rd of April that there are 6,500 additional deaths in the UK. And the onus argued that uh, it's the highest spike, the highest rise in uh, weekly deaths they've ever seen um, since the ONS began recording weekly deaths. Um, and I think it's, we've got to be careful about anecdote. But, you know, on the front lines of the NHS, you know, wards, intensive care units are, are full of people. There's, there's, you know, there's some who will say, well, you know, some of these people may have tested positive for COVID-19, but they're not dying from COVID-19. Yeah. So look, yeah, fine. If, if for example, somebody's got COVID-19 in the community, 
and then they go swimming and they drown, um, you know, the death certificate is not going to say COVID-19. The death certificate is going to say drowning. Yeah. So, um, so, but that will take a bit of time um, to come through. So at the moment, yes, yeah, if, if that person drowned and died in hospital and had tested positive for COVID-19, they will come in those daily figures because those daily figures are the deaths of hospital inpatients who have tested positive for COVID-19. But I, but I can tell you, I mean, the overwhelming consensus among doctors is that, you know, the vast majority of those people who are coming in those figures are dying from COVID-19. These are people who are, have got respiratory problems, who have been admitted to hospital with the classic symptoms of COVID-19 and who are dying. And there's many more in the community who it will take more time for them to seep into the statistics. I suppose what is also troubling is uh, many Muslims who may be community activists and who may be uh, in responsible positions in the Muslim community are very ready to embrace these conspiracy theories and to very very openly talk about them and entertain those people who uh, we don't usually entertain who may have theories and ideas which are uh, totally against reason and, and rationality. How should we assess the motivations of uh, of such people? Yeah, I, I guess it's hard to know the motive, if if I'm honest. I mean, if you've got a... That, that's what I'm saying. I can understand the motive on the right. On the right, the motive is to say, well, actually, guys, you're going to completely destroy our economy for something which isn't actually that bad. But if you have an Islamic thinker, you know, and somebody who wants to see, you know, Islam in state and society, what's your motive? Your motive actually is, okay, perhaps you want to look at the response of the Muslim countries and to criticize their response and to talk about how, uh, you know, the rulers in the Muslim world haven't looked after the affairs of people properly. Perhaps you would want to articulate how in an Islamic system, you would have responded in a different way to either the rulers in the Muslim world or, you know, the, the developed economies of the West. Um, so... I mean, your motive in understanding this issue should be kind of in a in a in a very neutral, unbiased way, trying to understand uh, the science, the medicine. Um, and I would say people should do that not from not from me, but from you know there are lots of experts in virology and public health and epidemiology. There are many, um, and you know I have yet uh, to come across. Um, experts in those fields saying that this is not a significant threat um, to all societies developed and you know developing i've not come across experts uh you know who who feel that what is being done is you know over the top in fact you come across a lot of expertise in the west amongst you know epidemiologists and public health doctors criticize the government exactly right? who are very critical who are saying well actually you know, when I caught a, a flight in Lahore in Pakistan, my temperature was checked five times. And when I got off the flight, when I got and off my the plane, passport was checked 20 times. Well, exactly. Yeah. And when I got off the plane at Toronto, there was nobody to be seen. No, nobody came and asked or, you know, when I went to, you know, a particular country. So I saw this this British guy on the BBC. He came back from Sri Lanka. And he was saying how many times he was checked, how many forms he had to fill in about his symptoms, about his medical history, his travel history. And then he gets to the UK and nothing happens. So there are people who have been very, very critical um, of the response and are actually of the view that, you know, this is, a, is a, an absolutely major threat. So I, I don't know what their motive is, but, you know, the motive of, of a Muslim, you know, somebody who aspires to look after the affairs uh, of his ummah and also to you know bring the mercy of islam to mankind should be to have a really sincere discussion about look this is actually a major problem for humanity what is it that can be done how is it that you can harness the resources for example of a state how is it that you can influence the behavior of the people and and people are thinking about this at a much higher level unfortunately than some of the muslims for they are thinking about human behavior for example the nudge theory and things like that, and behavioral science. They're thinking, and, and, and those things are not unimportant. Because if you're going to have a public health response, you need to kind of have an understanding of how are your people going to cope with whatever you ask of them? And how are you going to carry your people with you? 
and what will be the collateral damage down the line, maybe years down the line, of you know telling people that they can't go out, telling people that you know they can't go to the gym, uh, because already, I mean, as a psychiatrist, I'm already starting to see, even in these early days, uh, the kind of knock-on effects of what the government has done, and obviously that's a political that's a political decision, isn't it? The government have to, in any state, have to weigh up. You're going to take certain steps which are going to, you know, um, avoid harm, but they may also cause harm. And I don't, I don't think there's any country which has a strategy which can somehow avoid the consequences of the virus, protect the economy, and avoid the long-term consequences. I think that's impossible. Right, yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask you about that. And maybe, maybe it's probably better to invite you back and, and you can talk about uh, the the mental health consequences um, of the virus. And I mean, ju- just the very fact that uh, uh, many people are, are now in their homes for, for very long periods, in fact, sometimes permanently for, for a number of weeks. They're, they're just, uh, that's obviously going to have an impact, right? The lack of social contact, uh, the isolation, especially for old people who may not be uh, that uh, happy to use technology or, or can't use the technology, but it indeed is going to have an impact on their mental health. Yeah, I think you know we need to we need to think carefully about this. This is a, a disease which has killed many people, uh, and it will kill many people. And um, the you know dealing with death and bereavement is a risk to one's mental health if one uh, you know doesn't have the appropriate tools uh, to do so, and that is going to be an issue. Um, for both uh, Muslims and others, that will, you know, that will be a massive issue. You know, we see people now, you know, who have become, uh, you know, have spent a life of depression because they struggled to deal with a loss many, many years ago. Now, you know, we are hearing of cases where, you know, husband and wife are both ill, both in intensive care, brothers, both ill, both in intensive care. So this thing will affect families, so, you know, the, the death of a young 13-year-old, that has profound consequences. On... And the family couldn't attend the funeral. Exactly. Right? And that's the other thing. So they, they always talk in mental health. And yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It's going to be a big topic. But you talk about things like closure. Those things are very important. And obviously in Islam, you know, Islam defined, you know, set periods of mourning as an example to try and give, clo- to you know, to bury the dead um, speedily, to bring about rapid closure. Um, not obviously, you know, that one has completely overcome uh, the trauma, but uh, these things are quite important. And those things are problematic at the moment. The, even the usual rituals of people amongst Muslims and non-Muslims when people die, are uh, impossible to observe them. A lot of people already I'm seeing have lost jobs, have lost their income. Uh, that is affecting them. And that is, you know, we know that uh, unemployment and austerity are linked uh, very closely to suicide. So if you were to plot unemployment rates over the last 100 years and suicide rates over the last 100 years, it would follow a very, very similar trajectory. Yet, uh, Imran, we, we get messages from, from Muslims who say that, you know, depression and mental illness is a fabrication and it's not made up. It's made up and it, it doesn't have a, any real basis in, in, in uh, empirical study. I, th- I think, you know, the, the issue here is that anybody who wants to bring forward, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I have uh, patients, for example, uh, I, I have people in the local community in which I work. I mean, they will, they will give you holy water from some, you know, mountain in Kashmir um, <laughs> and, and tell you that that will cure you of all your ailments. And will you know, um, you know, there are people who post notes uh, you know, through doors saying, you know, I am Sheikh Abu Bakr from Nigeria and I will I will bring back your love who you lost, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, anybody who wants to say something needs to, you know, bring evidence, isn't it? Because anecdote, or, I mean, all these kind of witch doctors in our community, for example, they will show you an, an anecdote of, you know, somebody who, you know, was unable to walk and, you know, they were, they suddenly saw them and were able to walk. But, you know, the, the hun- these people are not on kind of Google reviews or TripAdvisor. So, you know, you can't, you're not going to get those 100 people who, you know, actually paid the money and didn't get any results. So I think there is something important here about 
the scientific process. Yeah, look, there are major issues with you know, the role of the pharmaceutical industry. There are all sorts of perverse incentives uh, in some parts of medicine. And you know, we, need to, we need to be thinking in, in order to understand these things. But uh, you know, at, a, at a simple level, uh, you know, mental illness is, is something which exists, which you know, many, many, I mean, while you say that, many other brothers get in touch with me, asking me on a daily basis for help, for advice, and I think expertise is something important, especially these days. I mean, I was I was sitting and discuss, discussing earlier uh, with my team about a patient, and they said, "Well, the patient said they're not going to, you know, they're not going to take the dose you said. They've checked on Google, and uh, you know, they, they're not happy." And I said, "Well, that's okay then. I mean, why do I need to carry on treating this particular patient? I mean, if they if they feel competent that they've checked on Google." And that they can manage their own health and they don't need my expertise that that's perfectly fine um but yeah you know look we want people to be informed we and it's really good as a as a doctor to come across patients who are well informed you know who have studied things who are challenging who come back with you know critical views and say well actually i don't want to take an antidepressant because i think you know i, I will you know my problems would be better solved by doing something else uh, you know that's really good and should be encouraged but we've got to be careful i mean people there are there are a lot of charlatans out there, um, and let, let's be honest. WhatsApp and Google have made you know everybody's auntie has become a an expert in virology in the last few weeks. But but I suppose when we look at expertise, I mean, there's one thing being informed, and when you're informed about say your own personal health, then you're going to make wiser decisions about your diet, and and you're going to, you know, that's one thing. But being informed doesn't make you an expert. I think the issue is people need to think about consequences. So, um, I mean, look at the look at the situation of Sweden, um, where you know people were holding this up as you know a great liberal democracy where people are mature, and you know you can tell them you can give them advice. You don't have to you know you don't have to lock them down. You don't have to have tough measures. Um, but now, you know, the, the number of deaths is accelerating very, very fast in Sweden. Um, and I, I would like to see those people who were saying, well, Sweden is actually a good example. People were saying that a week or two ago, saying, well, Sweden isn't uh, taking this pandemic seriously. Um, whereas, you know, the prime minister today has said, well, we're going to have a lot of people uh, we're gonna, we need to, who, are, who are dying and we, we need to prepare for thousands of deaths. And there's now a backlash. Um, and I think thousands of doctors and academics have signed a petition now urging tougher action. Um, and one scientist accused Sweden of playing Russian roulette with the Swedish population. And I think that, you know, if you're sending something out, which you're, you know, which is not your kind of expertise and you don't have uh, the knowledge or the experience to, to verify that what is being said is accurate, then I think you've got to be careful because you could be playing Russian roulette. Um, because, for example, you 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 know you may say to people, well, actually, um, you can go and pray Juma, and only those people who are old and have got respiratory conditions should stay away. Um, and you can you can you can push that out widely, and then you'll get people uh, insisting on going to pray in the masjid. And actually being major vectors of transmission, which is what we've seen. We've seen in Muslim countries like Malaysia, it was prayer meetings where, and even it, even one of the outbreaks we have here in, in the black country uh, near to Birmingham, that was a church. It was a number of, uh, uh, a number of uh, Christians, I believe, in a, in a local church uh, who continued to meet. And it seems that there was a there was a, a concentration of cases which emerged from that congregation. Oh, and in South Korea, there was that church that religious group in and, and they say the majority of the uh, phase one cases came from the, just that one religious group. Yeah. I mean, look in, in Sweden, you see, they took the view that every person should take their responsibility for slowing the spread. So they just left it to the individual, which is the view of, you know, obviously those on the, on the, on the right wing, the kind of libertarian view is, you know, leave it to the individual um, the state shouldn't interfere. So, you know, they had made... The Toby, Toby Young. Exactly, but, the, you know, there's many other... I mean, Toby Young is kind of on the extreme of that, yeah? But there are many others who hold that sentiment. Um, and you will see more of it in the days ahead as, you know, the economic situation begins to bite. If it was felt that this was just going to spread amongst the people, 
and that doesn't really matter because people will become ill, but they won't need hospital admission. Why open a hospital of 4,000 beds in London? Why open a hospital in Birmingham of 2,000 beds? Why close down all your surgery, which will have knock-on effects, by the way, in terms of mortality and morbidity? You know, if you are waiting for life-saving cancer surgery, by the time all this is finished, you know, your cancer may no, no longer be operable. You, it may not be possible to operate on that cancer. Um, you know, so there are major knock-on effects, no doubt. And, and uh, you know, all of that has probably got to be uh, factored in somewhere. But why do you, you know, why do you change and repurpose your operating theatres into intensive care units? Um, why have you got surgeons? You know, in some hospitals, surgeons are nurses now. So I, I was reading on Twitter, an ENT surgeon, he is, his role now is moving patients in intensive care, you know, moving their position in the bed because he can't operate. Um, and that's his skill. His skill is surgery and there's no surgery going on. So they are getting him now to help in an intensive care unit, not as an intensive care doctor, but as an intensive care nurse. So why would you do all of that if you felt that there were not going to be any extra admissions? Now, Imran, the mosques are shut and Salatul Jummah is no longer being prayed every week in, in the masjids. And this is an exercise in a number of Muslims. And we have uh, come across uh, some Islamic scholars uh, and learned people who have sent out fatawa to say that, you know, why can't we just um, shield the vulnerable people in society and test people at the door when they come into the masjid? And uh, those who don't show symptoms, they should be allowed to pray Salatul Jummah. Uh, some have said to me that, you know, it's better that we die than if we leave our Salah in the masjid. Uh, I mean, that, you know, and, and I've heard a lot of this uh, over the last few weeks. You know, I have a little expertise in, in politics and international relations. And um, I often get annoyed when, when people make pretty daft conclusions about uh, you know, which they call political analysis, um, but uh, but but that the consequence of that analysis is is pretty negligible, right? It's not going to harm someone, and so you can laugh it off, and you, you can sort of see it for what it is. Here, you know, the consequences are quite uh, are are potentially life threatening. Uh, fine, you know, that's that's a scholar who's who just doesn't understand uh, the reality of of the um, of the world he's living in, right? And he doesn't understand the reality of this particular disease but but his fatwa is going to have a, a a consequence on ordinary people and i know that you know i've got a family member who after reading that you know gave rang me up and said you know you've been exaggerating this and i'm going to read jumma with my friends um this coming friday and you know what why and you know he was he said to me you're scaremongering and um uh, you know here is a scholar who's given me a uh, a, a proper verdict, and uh, and he was he was intent on on praying Juma uh, with his mates, and you know getting a venue and 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 coming together and and praying Salat and Juma. Now that's you know that's going to have a consequence on on him, but also on those people around him who he may infect. Um, so um, you know I I think people just need to stay in their lane, and they need to rely on expertise, and if they don't trust. Uh, non-Muslim expertise, and if they think you know that somehow they're, they're lying to them, then there are plenty of Muslims who have expertise in this area, who they can ask and and um, who can give them a, a a a clear scientific verdict on 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 just how um, COVID nineteen works and and how it could it can uh, be spread even by those who don't show any any symptoms and and I would like you to talk about that I mean how can it be what is this argument that you know in many ways this this disease is is actually worse than some of the other plagues and and uh, epidemics around because you, you can spread it without showing obvious signs of of being carriers of this illness I mean the issue of COVID-19 is that we know there can be you know you know, there can be people who pick it up and who have relatively mild symptoms, yet they spread it to many people. Um, and that's a problem. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it actually means that an individual uh, who, you know, seems fit and well actually spreads it to a lot of other people who are much more vulnerable and in whom it has a completely different effect 
we also know that there are people who can be asymptomatic because there's an incubation period and the median incubation period and that's incubation period is the time from uh, being infected with the virus to exhibiting symptoms is about five days there's a range but the median is about five days so in that period of time you could you know you could easily infect others because you don't even know that you have symptoms um, and I'm you know you get people I mean look it's well known amongst doctors and nurses before COVID-19 at least lots of times you will work with symptoms you'll go to work even though you've got symptoms you might have a little cough you might have a bit of a fever but you know the the, the culture is you carry on working until you're really really ill and and lots of people do that so we know that from human experience there are people with symptoms who will continue mixing with others you know and that's fine if you haven't got a disease which is very contagious or deadly um but here we're talking about a condition where you may have many many people who go to pray in a mosque for example who are uh carriers of the condition you know they are transmitting the condition they are they don't have any symptoms um and they transmit the infection to others you may get people who have have it and have mild symptoms who transmit it to others i mean the whole notion of a pandemic a pandemic is essentially um uh an epidemic of a disease the rapid spread of a disease uh, across a large region so this is not about the diamond princess or whatever it was called that cruise ship and you've got uh an organism or a virus which is there on that cruise ship which can be you can keep that cruise ship in the sea until it's overcome whoever dies from it dies from it whoever survives it survives it people on land are unaffected by it that isn't what we're talking about here we're talking about the rapid spread of a disease across multiple continents what are you going to cut off because it's spreading this community transmission rapidly throughout multiple continents how are you going the only way that you can you know these viruses they need to spread from person to person to person so the way you cut it off and the way you as they call it flatten the curve is reducing that spread like today for example historically i would have gone and had meetings all day with uh, nursing staff with medical staff discussing all of my patients and we'd all be sitting in the same room and we'd sit round and you know we may have tea and coffee together and lunch together um and all of that in this current situation is a means of transmitting the virus between ourselves so in order to reduce that today i've worked uh using you know software video conferencing and it's worked quite well and i haven't i haven't you know i haven't left my office at home in order to do that and that reduces the risk because i could have picked it up i could have this condition i could be asymptomatic and yes once you're more sophisticated i agree if you can in a sophisticated way work out who has had the condition who hasn't had the condition who's got immunity to the condition and all of those kind of things then yes you can be a bit more intelligent in releasing the lockdown yes you may be able to you know um allow people to you know to to start once again having public gatherings but you need to have tools to do that and can i ask you about 5g networks i mean we hear a lot about how this is not a viral infection but actually it's a a consequence of uh, the rollout of 5g networks and i know a number of conspiracy theories have been going around and i've received a few on social media i mean i i hate to ask it but what what's your what's really your perspective uh, in case some of our listeners believe in in this argument i mean i don't think there's any credible evidence that's the point it, to me it just sounds like nonsense um you know the um the the one suggestion is that 5g somehow suppresses the immune system and the other claim i think one of the other theories is the virus is somehow using the 5g network's radio waves to communicate and pick victims and accelerate its spread um but i mean the other, the 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 whole issue is is that you know people talk about radiation um and th- and this is where it's just simply to do with you know i think basic education i mean the the radiation and the radio frequencies which are used in mobile phone networks including 5g it's it's not ionizing radiation it's non ionizing radiation meaning it it doesn't have enough energy 
to break apart the chemical bonds in the DNA in our cells in order to cause damage. So ionizing radiation, you know, what we're seeing at Hiroshima, Nagasaki, the aftermath of uh, Chernobyl, uh, the uh, nuclear uh, disaster uh, in uh, Japan. Fukushima. All of those. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, you know, you have uh, radiation, which, you know, we know can cause radiation sickness, can damage cells. We know that radiation uh, can kill cells. But that's got to be ionizing radiation. It's it's not the kind of uh, radio frequencies we're talking about here. Um, so there, there's no evidence. Um, that just doesn't stack up, I'm afraid, that the... Uh, the, the the possibility of um, uh, causing that kind of damage. And then the other theory is um, some suggestion that bacteria could generate radio waves. And that's a very controversial idea with very little evidence. And the other issue is, I mean, this COVID-19 is spreading in, in many UK cities where 5G hasn't been deployed and other countries as well, like Japan, Iran, they don't have 5G technology. And um, some have forwarded uh, prophetic medicines as a solution to safeguarding us from uh, from uh, COVID-19 and, and uh, even being a treatment for COVID-19. I mean, what would you say about that as a doctor? I mean, I, I, I don't think, uh, you know, we can say that any of these things which people talk about um, are a specific cure for COVID-19. We, we don't, I mean, the, the bottom line is we don't know uh of a treatment um that doesn't mean there isn't a cure we know that uh you know this is a hadith of the prophet وسلم, that for every disease there is a cure so seek the cure so you know mankind so this is something which is being put in the realm of man to look for the cure and, and this is you know the the pursuit of science um the pursuit of medicine uh, these are noble things in islam to look look for cures to look for medicines uh to treat the ill uh, and, and that, of course, is very, very important that, uh, you know, we do that. Um, the things which are mentioned, obviously, in the, you know, in the Islamic scriptures, these are good things to adopt at any time, you know, in order to improve uh, one's overall health. Um, you know, th there's nothing wrong with that. But to cite them as being specific cures for this condition or any other particular condition is is uh, problematic. Yes, you know, there are there are things within which you know, there are, you know, which we know from the sunnah, things like hijama, for example, things like black seed oil, uh, ajwa date, honey. Um, these things are, you know, are, are recommended. But, you know, we, we don't know of any specific evidence to say that they can cure a specific disease. Well, Jazakallah Khair, Dr. Imran Wahid, and earlier Dr. Naveed Sayed, and uh, your contributions have been valuable today. Uh, Dr. Imran, would you like to... Uh, leave with a, a a final message to our listeners about uh, covid-19 i would you know advise people to you know follow the the expertise and the the medical advice um which seems to be very clear this is you know a very problematic condition unfortunately we don't know a great deal at the moment about you know some of its complications we we don't have any good tested tried treatments yet so uh, until we do, it's it's very important people take this seriously. They, you know, they they follow the advice to kind of, uh, you know, to socially distance and to to stay at home. That's the situation we're in. And a final message to our listeners: May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala keep you safe in these uh, difficult times. Uh, please do uh, send us your comments. You can uh, log on to our website www.thinkingmuslim.com. That's thinkingmuslim.com. And you'll be able to fill in a form and uh, give your comments as well as propose any future guests and topics that you may have that we can cover. Uh, but we value, value your feedback and uh, we really would wish you to, um, uh, to, to get in touch with us. And uh, please do look out for my course, which I'm going to hold. Uh, it's an online course on uh, comparative theories, uh, looking at liberalism, socialism and Islam. And again, you can find out more information about that on uh, thinkingmuslim.com. But until next week, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.